Hello and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. On today's program, Director of Research and Portfolio Manager Joe Overdevest joins us. Joe touches upon the energy sector to financials and explains what factors are moving the markets right now. He says Canada looks pretty good, adding that it had a good start to the year and the economic data coming in as of late shows great improvement. But he says central banks need to slow down in terms of their rate decisions. Joe also touches upon earnings. Earnings have been slow in recent quarters, but are showing improvement with economic data. The market is currently valued at around 20 times earnings and the S&P is at 18 times. Joe also speaks about China and its slow economic growth, which is now impacting business owners. He talks a lot about anemic growth, something to look out for in the upcoming months, as that growth could affect global supply chains as many commodities are sourced in China. This podcast was recorded on July 18th, 2023. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada, ULC, or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. Great to see you, Joe. Great seeing you Long as well, Long time since in person. Great yeah, to see you. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. How's your summer so far? Uh, excellent. Yours? Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's like hot, sticky summer. It's great. It's great. <laughs> we like this. Um, so let's go straight to some of the headlines. How's Canada doing? Yes. We are hearing some negative reasons, but is there still, as an investor, if you're outside of Canada, if you're in Canada, Canada look okay? Yeah, Canada looks uh, pretty good right now. Obviously, you've got a strong start to markets. Uh, the economic data is actually coming through quite well, and probably we'll talk about this. It's coming along so well that the uh, central bankers have to slow it down, right? So, so far, we've had a very good start to the year. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. So certain things have been fixed. We mentioned the the port strike, which is, you know, a labor issue that's not just in ports, it's in other places as well. But, but ultimately, we've seen things like supply chains kind of get fixed. Yep. I mean, this is this is a new disruption. But some of those stories really are behind us now. What has that allowed us to power through with? Other things have been able to come to the fore because some of those pieces are fixed. Yeah, one of the biggest supply chain issues we had when we talked probably a year ago was some of the inflationary buckets, which is, you know, energy or resources, inflationary supply chains and labor. And so let's review energy and resources have come off a little bit, but energy still, you know, 70 to $80 is very good yeah. for Canada. I mean, that's not a bad situation at all. Number two is you're probably talking about supply chain. If you look at, you know, sending goods across the ocean, those prices have definitely come down. And so you're almost seeing, actually in Canada, we've come down so much, you're almost like a freight recession. Trucking and railing is actually seeing uh, a lot of headwinds because now not as many people are buying online, so there's not many goods moving, which is intermodal as much across Canada. Labor, I'm sure we'll get into, is still very tight though. And I think one of the biggest things though, what's helped with these three buckets is you saw inflation, again, we're talking about a year ago, probably around 8%, and all of a sudden now we're getting closer to four. And this is a big debate though, it's like the four to two. And I'm sure we'll dive into this, but you know, the, as I said then, eight to four is easy, easier. As let's mm -hmm. say it's a relative term. 
The Fortitude is a tougher one. And in particular, the labor might be one that seems pretty sticky. Some of that's structural. We do have a, a part of the population that is not is retired or just left. And some part of the population doesn't want to work certain jobs. Yeah. yeah. No, so the labor situation is tight. Um, let's, let's go to earnings because yeah. we're getting into the U.S. earnings. Certainly, it's earnings season ultimately. Some of the Canadian ones come, come through a little bit later. What are you looking for in obviously the numbers, but really the commentary as well. You'll be speaking yeah. with CEOs. You guys always have management meetings with, with the leadership. What do you need to hear? Yeah, I think on the earnings itself, everyone's kind of like, again, you hear the headlines, it's like, oh my goodness, like, is this going to be the quarter kind of thing where there's a right. big drawdown? Look, the market has done well. It's around 20 times earnings over a year out, probably 18 times S&P 500. Yuri and Timber does a great job explaining this. The market moves first, and then the earnings come through. Okay, so earnings have probably, you know, slowed the last few quarters and now are actually starting to do a little better with the economic data. And also the companies that have so far reported some of the big U.S. banks, this quarter probably sh should be OK. I think the biggest thing will be the next few quarters as we go. I think the commentary from management teams is, you know, how are you doing with debt? Right. If you have a company mm -hmm. with a high leverage right now, this is you know, a tougher time. Luckily, I think Fidelity's done a great job the last, you know, in particular our team last almost two years scrubbing for debt issues because you want to be ahead of that. I think number two with, with company management teams is just how aggressive they are. Like, let's be honest, it's an okay environment, but it's not very robust. So you don't really want a CEO, CFO going in, hey, we're going to be very aggressive with capital expenditures and hiring right now. That seems not maybe the best environment. I think growth is more of anemic. I would say that's one of the things that's probably helped this year. People don't probably give enough attention to. We went into this year conservative. The actual general economy, the actual CEOs and CFOs we talked to six months ago, they went into this year not really hiring, not really spending. And so I think that's really helped them mm. that why margins have held up. And, and so does that speak ultimately to, to perhaps Q1, Q2 earnings, how they're doing, holding out there because maybe they had a more conservative outlook? But it's still tight labor markets. Yep. It's still, I mean, what do they need to do in perhaps the back half? Yeah, I think, I think it's a tough environment in general. I think yeah. this is where the best of the breed will start to come out, right? Like the best brands, the best companies, but the ones that actually can pass along pricing. When you go into a Costco and you look around, the, the, you know, trying to find a parking spot, you're like, this is a good company. They can raise prices, right? But if you look into a B mall and you go into some of these other kind of weaker companies in the mall, you're like, no one's here. You know, that's a tougher environment because you're exactly right. In tough times, you know, the, the, the big ones move faster and move and act faster and also can actually demand the pricing changes because labor is still tight. And I think this is something that this will be the, probably one of the toughest things we go that four to two percent. And this is where also even central bankers have to decide, do we start going to three percent? And then they start giving words to you and I going, well, we might not go to two or, or we might we might get, we're getting there over time because they realize it's really tough for that last few hundred basis points. Because labor is is probably, when we see this with the unions you were just mentioning, yeah. when they're closing deals now, these are some big, big increases. Big increases. Um, well, that's interesting. And so Jackson Hole is just around the corner for the, from yeah. the U.S. perspective. And that was when it was mentioned how many years ago, that they would they would be a bit looser with the 2% target. I yes. forget the exact words, but it wasn't didn't necessarily need to be exactly two. Do you expect the Bank of Canada to do something like that? I think the Bank of Canada is a, is a tough job, as they always yeah, are. Every so. central banker is, and, they, and they've said this too. Like, you know, if you we read the recent Global Mail article, you know, it was like, okay, we didn't say we're stopping. That's we right. said we're taking a pause <laughs> right. because we live in a very dynamic world. And I, I, I respect that. I think, though, 
they'll look at things and you're exactly right. If all of a sudden we start getting it, you know, tough to go to three to two, I think you might have to start judging, right? You know I mean? It's a blunt instrument moving interest rates, right? Yeah. So all of a sudden, if they find they're blunting certain parts of the economy and actually not solving inflation, they might make a tough decision. And I think what's interesting then for investors is that if this happens, if central bankers, again, we, investing is about probabilities, not certainties, yeah. but you have to at least respect they may, may accept higher inflation than, than, than 2%. And what does that mean? Well, that means probably interest rates, you know, stay high, but maybe, you know, they don't go super high. Well, generally, first reaction for equity markets is we like that. Because yeah, guess what? Exactly. One of the biggest overhangs for the equity markets has been interest rates probably for the last two years. The other thing is probably commodities and gold. Because one of the biggest things that's been holding gold back is, you know, uh, negative real rates to positive real rates. It was a big change the last few years. Well, let's go into let's go into gold, but but also resources. I never know what gold is, so you'll, you'll, <laughs> you're the expert on that. But um, let's talk a little bit about where resources go. China has reopened. Yeah. Um, it seems the last couple of weeks have just been one kind of disappointing. I'm not sure exactly how we were all expecting China to come out roaring, buying yeah. up everything, but it does seem to be disappointing yeah. in the economic realm. So so what is the engine for commodities? Have they come down enough for something to tick back up? Where are we? Yeah, so I think China's a, a good way to start, okay? So the go-go days was 10% GDP growth, and now we're like, we're they're struggling to get to five, right? You have a Wall Street Journal article on the weekend, front page saying like, People even in China are upset now because it's like the growth is so slow, it's hurting them, right. you know, as business owners and such like that, right? Those are not the headlines a few years ago. So I think when you have that anemic growth, it's it's tough because when you look at the big buckets of demand out there, say 20% to 50%, so some of these commodities come from China, right. right? And I think what's also very specific about China is they're trying to help the economy, but what's different about 10, 20 years ago is they're not just saying we don't we don't want housing speculation. We just don't want to say, okay, let's just go build a whole bunch of apartment buildings and houses, which is very positive for copper, but we want to be more managed in our growth. So we have, again, it's kind of like okay growth coming out of China, but not it's not the big driver, okay? So you look at the big buckets then for copper, it's doing okay, right? It's actually pretty healthy right now. I still think longer term for copper, though, still still looks attractive. And then that's really the energy transition. Right. And then the flip side, those oil... Maybe I think you're seeing oil, you know, we'll, we can dive into this. It's not positive when OPEC cuts. <laughs> OPEC right. cuts are good that day, but longer term it means there's actually a slack of, supply, of slack of demand. So when we're seeing OPEC release, it's actually it's positive because there's a demand that they're responding to. Yes, we, you, yeah. you ironically want them saying, yeah. we're pumping as much oil as possible, we cannot keep up. Because we and, can sell it. Yeah, and yeah. it's just like any kind of company, when we talk to them, when they say like, we cannot get enough of product and we're pr raising pricing, that's a positive thing. Okay, so let's zero in exactly on that. Going back to copper, how yeah. easy is it to build a copper mine? <laughs> how is it? Very He's difficult. Very difficult. <laughs> very like difficult. any kind of mine, right? Any, ki and any this, kind of mine. This is where it becomes very tough. And, and, and actually, it's very ironic because the, the same almost geopolitics or, or views of society to go to an energy transition Won't let this are, are the same ones that mm -hmm. oppose a mine. So if I say, okay, we would like a mine in, the, in somewhere in Toronto, somewhere just a little off Toronto and have be an open pit mine yeah. and, and rip up the ground. Never going to happen. I have a feeling that will be very difficult, yeah. right? And, I, and the problem is even within North America, it's very difficult. So you're kind of seeing that in particular in the U.S. where they're saying, okay, we want to drive this energy transition. And you have like, the federal level says we want to do something. Guess what? 
the municipal or state level says, well, we don't want to do that, right, in, in someone else's backyard. And I, in particular, the politics, especially in South America, many of the new leaders we've seen over the last decade are definitely not as friendly to mining companies as they were before. Some of the countries are even talking about, like, you know, hey, we'll, we'll take the lithium mines away that they've already been built. So from when we talk to oil and gas executives to mining executives, they're not feeling very comfortable to spending big checks right now because when you need to make these commitments, they're 10 years in length. So, so the mines that exist, the old mines, yep. are, more, are more valuable, presumably. Yes. So can we pour some AI into them and get them, <laughs> you know, get things out of them? I mean, it, actually, genuinely, are the old mines that are in Canada and North America going to be worth more? Well, I think in, here's a, probably a, a way we look at it. When we talk to oil and gas executives, it, built mines, you put such a lower discount rate than you did before, right? So, and, and, and in the new mines, you put such a higher discount right. rate. So that deviation has moved a lot. So you're right. In, an oil and ga- or in a mining executive's mind, they're looking at current mines as being a lot more attractive. And your question is, can we get more of the mines? Sally, this is one of the things that, you know, we as investors are constantly looking for. You know, is there something that can change the, you know, the dynamics of supply and demand, change even the dynamics of one particular company being technology. Because in oil and gas, we right. saw that with horizontal technology. The problem with mining, we hit, it's such a rudimentary process. Right. In, in the end of the day, it's still pretty uh, physically intensive with machines. It's tough to see how we can also get like double the recovery like we did with oil and gas. But that's something that, you know, I'm sure with technology, you know, you hear about different things, but it, right now it seems pretty far out there in terms of a step change. Let's go into the energy transition. Yeah. Um, as we know, the IRA in the U.S. has, has sort of provided an extra underpinning for, for this transition. Um, the Inflation Reduction Act, which is not, anyway, whatever. We know <laughs> the what short form is not may, a good one, no. May not, may not be exactly what it is. But in any case, um, there's money there. There's will. Yes. Um, that has extended to Canada, it looks like. Yeah. What does that mean for new opportunities and investment? I think you know there's a number of new opportunities. Whenever we see injections of capital, yeah. as an investor, you put your ears up because you're like, okay, this is someone now in the government saying we want this to happen, and in some cases, we don't even really care about the return on capital. We just want it to happen. So that usually means a higher return on equity than normal investing would be when there's competition. And so where that you're seeing this in the first kind of glances of this is engineering companies. So we actually have a number of engineering companies that are global leaders here in Canada mm-hmm. that are seeing it. Because all of a sudden, okay, we want to build a hospital, we want to build a road, or we want to you know, put a whole bunch of solar panels somewhere. First thing you need, engineers. Tell us how to do this and figure it out for you. And, and they're seeing their, their environmental business being very, very hot right now. That's fascinating. Um, so when you're talking about Canada, always is going to go up the Canadian dollar. So there's lots yep. of trajectories for the U.S. dollar, sort of having a little bit of a march further south. Um, what does that mean for us? What's mm-hmm. that mean for us investing in our own currency? Yeah, I think, and that's one of the things, especially for Canadian investors, I always remind people is like you got to watch because all of a sudden you start going to other currencies. Yeah. If you could have currency wipe out a lot of good things, so right. that that's always I, I have a home bias to some degree, or at the very least. Canada or U.S. bias versus some of these other global currencies. When it comes to Canada versus U.S., probably where we are right now is probably at a respectable range. And the biggest deviation would be from interest rate changes. And if you listen to both central bankers, they're probably one or two maybe raises away from pausing. That's their hope. 
um, but they're not, there's not a big deviation change in their views. And that's, so we're probably where we were supposed to be. Okay. It's not like a catch-up situation where in the ECB, well, it's hard to know what they'll do, but they seem to be much further behind. Yes. Whether they can crank it up is, is yeah, well, a yes. question. Yeah, well, yes. And that's a tough thing that I think you're seeing is labor being a tougher thing probably in Europe, yeah. in particular Britain. And there's more of a catch-up there with interest rates for with sure. With interest rates for sure. So let's dive into what the level of interest rates means ultimately for going back to lending leverage for Canadian companies. You know, you said you did a lot of sort of scrubbing on 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 where they sit in, in terms of their debt. Does that ultimately mean the stronger companies could well have an opportunity for M and A going yeah, forward? Yeah, exactly. I think this is something we've talked about over the years yeah. where there's pain you know, there's gains somewhere, right? And so one of the things when we were doing with scrubbing was not just finding out, okay, what companies maybe we don't want to invest with, but what are the companies that are going to benefit from this? And that's a strong balance sheets. In Canada, there's a number of companies that were very conservative and they said, you know, we're not going to try to outbid private equity, right? We're seeing multiples that we should be paying at 10 times. They're paying at 15 or 18 times. We're going to sit back and have a strong balance sheet. And we're already slowly seeing that because private equity on the flip side their clients are saying, you know what, maybe I give a little too much to private equity. I'm not putting as much this year from a pension or endowment. Number two, we're seeing from the pen, from the uh, private equity is their bankers also saying, well, maybe we won't give you as much debt because it's a different environment right now. And lastly, their interest rate costs are higher. They, they don't want it, to take it on. No. Yeah. And so we're definitely seeing that when we talk to the executives is saying like when you're competing with private equity, they're, they're smiling more than they were before because their competition went away. And and again, one of, the, one of the test questions sometimes for private equity when you're, if you're being hired is, you know, what's the, one of the biggest drivers of the internal rate of return is how many bidders are at the table. When there's one bidder or 20, again, people who probably buy a house in Canada will understand the difference. <laughs> right. So there you go. So it's interesting. So you've got some, and let's go to the sort of resources space because it's 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 partly what you're famous for. But um, but I, I'm sort of curious. So you've got perhaps some companies that are in good positions. Yeah. Maybe there's an M&A cycle coming through here. You've also got money from the the environment for you know um, putting towards in a um, transition for energy, and and there also just appears to be a regulatory landscape that is going to help ultimately companies make good investments that will ultimately work towards an energy transition. So to put that all together, what we might see, what sort of transition is possible here with some more money, perhaps um, some opportunity through M&A, and also the government at, at their back? Yeah, I think it's society, the government are definitely pushing. So the, uh, the first one would be, it's probably inflationary in the short term. Right. And that's the thing we that's have to watch. Thing. There's a lot of money being spent, and in this transition, of, we've talked about this over the years, is usually not smooth. And the problem is because everybody's not at the table. And, 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 and what you need is oil and gas at the table, you need governments at the table, and you need everyone together going, you know, how are we going to do this as opposed to you're bad or you're good? Yeah. Because otherwise, it could be a very messy transition. Right now, they're talking. I think probably the talks need to move up a little bit, though, because like Pathways is a perfect example. I think everybody, right. governments, Oil and gas companies would say, we'd love to get moving forward on this. And obviously, they can't come to an agreement yet. Pathways for everyone is, of course, sealed to, you know, actually sequestering that in the ground for the oil sands. That would be step one. I think the other thing we have to watch for is how the government or regulators decide even to regulate our banks. Yeah. And so right now, of course, you have OSFI, which regulates the banks. They've been increasing, you know, uh, capital ratios. But they've made public statements, if you go on the website, saying, 
We're also looking into climate transition or environment, you know, how, how we actually, you know, transition as a country. And, you know, potentially, we've seen this a little bit in Europe, they could start then going, okay, we're going to have a higher capital ratio for oil and gas companies and a lower for renewables. Right. And this, again, is a blunt instrument, but we have to watch how that affects different things and even different regions in Canada as well. You speak to the you know, management at banks. What are they getting ready for? I was going to say worried, <laughs> but you know, what, what do they need to ready themselves for on that front? I think banks in general are really um, a play on the economy, right? When the economy is doing well, they do better with credit cards, the capital markets, everything like that. When you have anemic growth, they're seeing it it's slower, right? And and so that's number one. Number two, I think, was that, you know, definitely the last 12 months has been capital ratios. You know, we have a new regulators come in um, to to lead OSFI. And uh, you've seen OSFI step up in pretty aggressive fashion the amount of capital that Canadian banks need to hold. And so that's a negative, yeah. you know, it may be positive for the economy because you have strong banks. Mm-hmm. It is a negative though at the company level because it leads to lower return on equity. And I think what's also interesting about these regulations they're putting through is that, you know, it potentially slows loan growth, right? Because the first thing you do is, you know, okay, if we have to hold more capital, we're not lending out as much. So it's actually, you know, hurting to some degree in the short term, right. the Canadian economy, the hope is that it makes it stronger in the longer term. I think one of the biggest things though people are watching right now though is that the Canadian government, much like most governments, came in during the pandemic and said, we won't have pain. We won't, you know, so we're gonna give money to individuals, give money to businesses. That was great. Right. They took the debt on, which is probably something that they'll have to pay for in future times that we can I'm sure talk about. Help with that just a little bit. I think, uh, you know, I, I would say actually, though, they would probably not want too much inflation because yeah. it re- increases interest rates. So they probably wouldn't. No. But I think what's also happening is that for the Canadians now, we're a few years out, you know, insolvencies are starting to creep up. And now, you know, I'm sure they went to the Canadian banks and said, you know what, if we're going to help out, we don't want a whole bunch of people going bankrupt because that right. wouldn't be right. And so I think you're going to start seeing more naturalization of credit which sadly means insolvencies and probably more job layoffs as well, because a lot of people held back on cutting people's you know, sure. jobs. Probably next year, that potentially is more of a theme. Yeah. Let's, let's dig into AI. It kind of takes us back to earnings as well, because it, it, it becomes what companies are looking out towards in yeah. the next little while. Most companies you're talking to are looking at AI in some way, we assume? Uh, yes. I think we've had a few trips to uh, to California. We've obviously had a number of tech companies here. And, and the thing is, it seems like on everybody's lips who actually talk to non-tech companies, you know, who are actually supplying this, yeah. is that um, almost every executive team is talking about this. And it's either a threat or it's an opportunity. In some cases, they don't even know which one it is. Right. I think the biggest thing... What do the- you want to know as an investor? <laughs> do you want to know that they are harnessing it in some way? I think they ha- they should be a- at least aware of it. I yeah. think that that this is the biggest thing. Number yeah. Step number one is being aware of it. Yeah. And number two, some of these people say like, you want them to be excited by it. To be blunt, actually, I don't want them to be too excited by it right. because you know, I mean, sometimes it's, some executive teams will think it's a shiny object and run with it before they even know what it is. I, I don't think we're there yet. And I think this is a, leads into probably what I mean by that is like, when you have these big technology changes, usually the short term, people overestimate the impact, right? So people probably think like, tomorrow the world will change, but they probably underestimate the longer term effects of this. And when the internet came out, you know, and everyone thought everything would go online, people probably, again, they were like, it was, they, they were, they too were early. They were too early. But if you look longer term, it was a big deal, yeah. right? And the other thing is, when an application comes out, a new technology, 
we often don't know its potential. It has to come out and then we find the applications. And the perfect example would be your iPhone. iPhone came out, the old days, remember you, had, you did your phone, you did some music on it and maybe yeah. you did the internet and now you have Uber, you have your health data, you have yeah. Google Maps. Your entire, <laughs> your entire life. Your entire life is, is on this $1,000 device. Your calendar, your children's yeah. everything. Yeah. And it shows that all those applications came later because right. that device came first. And now that chat, GDP, or AI of any yeah. sort is here, now it will be interesting to see what applications come aboard. Yeah, fascinating how this is all going to come through. Um, okay, so is investing in sort of the Canadian resources still the de derivative investment in EM? Yeah. yeah, and so essentially is like the emerging markets yeah. or China driving a lot of the demand. Still, yes, it yeah, is still the it demand. Is still I would that. say it's interesting, though, that probably the copper one, which we wouldn't have talked about 10 years ago, has changed that that copper demand from EV transition will be all essentially it's the It's not world. for houses. Yeah. It's for yeah. EV transition. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Is there enough copper in the world to do what we think we're going to do? Well, it, we will not run out. It'll be the, what determines the price, though. And right. so <laughs> you will, I, I, think, I think the only thing, too, is maybe if interesting if technology changes, that if there's a way to change batteries to use less copper. I think, okay, And that's, that's where the yeah. Teslas of the world are starting to figure that one out, too. If they see a bottleneck, if they can't supply it, change it, change the supply, they'll change somehow on their end. But right. we're not there yet. Okay. Um, how do you see, ultimately, kind of where where we are right now, what we need to be aware of. We're investing in Canada. We're looking at some of these different pieces. We've got an economy that seems to be fine for now. Mm -hmm. There's a there's always a housing and residential discussion there that yeah. leads to the banks. How do you think through that? Do you worry about that? Or not? Is this, you know, we're waiting for the lag of 18 months and then it's all going to hit? Or how do you look at that? Look, I think we get paid to worry, and that's yeah. our job. Yeah. We're, we're, we're supposed to be on first watch. So how watch. do you worry about that? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, how do we worry about it is, is we, first of all, we talk to our companies a lot. So Because you, you talk to the whole ecosystem. So you talk to companies that, like, essentially will be the first level to be hit by something. Again, Canadian banks see it in, in mortgages and credit cards and such like that. They're definitely seeing slowing, right? But they're not seeing recessionary times, but yeah. they're seeing slowing. I think number two is we look at economic data. Um, number three, we look at history. Right. History tells a lot. And, and I will say, you know, there is usually a lagged effect with these higher interest rates. And so we have to respect that. And then our team is doing a lot of work just saying scenario analysis that, yes, things are OK right now, mm -hmm. but it definitely is tighter for the Canadian consumer in particular. And um, I think lastly is we just we, we question ourselves. We just do a lot of work of like, you know, what's the upside and what's the downside? And you embrace your own ignorance. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's so honest. Capital allocation, how how important, it's always super important. Yeah. But again, what do you either speak to the companies that you are invested in about, you know, what is, is there a way to kind of strike at this point? Maybe we go back to M&A. What's, what's the most interesting capital allocation sort of story to you right now? Is it M&A? Is it in fact AI? I'd say more M&A at this point in time. Yeah. AI is still probably too early. I think some of the more thoughtful companies are talking at the board level and maybe spending a little bit in their tech budget to test something. Yeah. As And they're really probably more spending on consultants to come to them going, right. you know, you're you're a consultant from a tech company. Just tell me what I can, what I'm supposed to look at first before right. I dive in. But really, I think on the M&A side, and I think for this audience too, if they really want a great book, it's called The Outsiders. Okay. And uh, it's one of these books about just the, the what makes a good CEO versus a bad CEO. One of the biggest things is capital allocation because a lot of CEOs... They were great at marketing or sales. They got to the CEO position. They never actually had to allocate capital. It's a big differentiator for companies over time. And ironically, 
We're hosting a, a teach-in just on capital allocation this week, uh, all right. teaching all the analysts to make sure they understand the benefits and then doing case studies, exa examples for them, showing why, you know, you can see you can have, there's many companies that can have 3% growth, but also they're great capital allocators. Yep. They grew earnings 15% plus many years just because of, you know, taking out other competitors in, in weak times and, and doing that. Is Canada any better or worse, the, the lot of management here versus <laughs> the lot of management? I, I really try to sort of look at uh, Fortress Canada to an extent. Like, are, are we traditionally pretty good at that or not? I, I actually would say Canada and the U.S. would probably be high up there. Other countries would definitely be lower. We won't say negative well, names, no names, but no. I would say definitely lower. And it's just some of it, it's just whatever, that's just the way those companies are. They would yeah. just hoard cash or they would do things maybe not for the best reasons. But can the U.S. being a competitive capital market yeah. drives it? Because if you don't do good, strong capital allocation, you get removed as a CEO. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's one of the actual. Well, so what do we need to watch for? The recession word actually hasn't come up in this conversation at all. <laughs> um, but it's never it's never too far from most headlines uh, that you read wherever you take your news. Um, yeah. So what do you worry about on that front? Like, what do you, what do you see in the rate story and the yield curve that could lead us there? Yeah, I think. I think one of the biggest things we see is, is the rate of change, right? And so right now, we, I use the word a lot, anemic growth. Yeah. That's actually not the worst thing. It means the-, the There is growth. There is growth, yeah. yeah. And it means like the consumer and businesses are adjusting slowly to this, right? Because I think that was our biggest concern is you had a move in rates that was so fast, it's the speed and the magnitude was, was quite daunting. That like we, we didn't want to see boom that and then all of a sudden economic growth, even though it's still positive, just start stepping down massively. We're actually just seeing kind of like a slow, you know, movement of growth, but still positive, which is actually good. It means people are adjusting. It means people probably are saying, you know what, I'm buying less of these discretionary items, but I'm still paying my mortgage, right? right. I think when the when we take a step back, one of the biggest things is jobs, right? It, again, it's, it is coincidental, but still it's a very powerful indicator. Sure. If you have your job, you're probably still paying the major bills and you may be adjusting certain things, but you're still, you know, the economy is still running. When you haven't have made big decisions. Yes, exactly. Right. So I think that's one of the biggest things in Canada is that we had to watch that, you know, companies don't start making a big change on employment. And right now we're seeing, again, you and I have talked about this, it's the echoes of the COVID uh, shutdown. Yeah, of course. People are afraid to lay people off because like, oh no, I don't want to go through that again. Yeah. And so maybe they're keeping their staffing a little higher than they normally do, but they'd rather do that, which actually is generally positive for the economy. Yeah, generally positive for the economy. Fantastic. Anything that you would say, I think that kind of kind of wraps up what we need to keep an eye on in certain areas. But um, any just final sentence on what you think we should watch? Final sentence is, you know, there's always talk about recession and different geopolitical concerns. And you and I have them doing this yeah. and there'll be new things. And 12 months ago, we were still probably talking about asking about recession. Just remind the audience, if you don't, we're not trying to buy the stock market, we're trying to own the best of breed of whatever region we're in. That's right. And you can talk all about timing and all this negative news. Well, guess what? In the last six months, major markets are up 10 or 20% in a six-month period. It's a pretty big move in the markets. And you all this time, you would have been talking about recession or at least worrying about it. So you have to watch. You don't kind of worry about something and, and miss some great opportunities. Yeah, yeah. Keep your head on the light sometimes, too. Okay. Joe, over to us. Great to see you. Thank you, Pamela. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity mutual funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. 
Visit fidelity.ca slash how to buy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time.